Um, There's 1 Peter chapter 4. It's on page 1890 in the large print Bibles and 850 in the small print. Uh, It's the full chapter. Uh, The first half speaks of uh, living for God and then the second half suffering for being a Christian. So uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 starting at verse 1. Therefore since Christ suffered, suffered in his body... Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if, if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, on the large print Bible 1875, small print Bible 842. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked 
marked for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set out before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. Uh, as you came in, you should have been uh, offered, I think, an outline of the talk. So if you've got that, you might find that helpful. Um, that'd be good. It was nice to have at least one Peter reading the first reading. Um, and did you notice how, how stately he looked, um, having turned 50 just last week? I think that's very exciting. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't supposed to say that. Oh. <laughs> Happy birthday, Peter. Let me pray, and then we'll look at the Bible together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to come and to, to hear you speak. Um, you've promised that when we gather, uh, whether we're big or small, um, you are here and uh, you are speaking. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak truly and clearly. Pray that my words may be your words and that we come away from here uh, encouraged uh, but also challenged to live a life for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to imagine, if you can, that you go to your doctor um, and he tells you, uh, or she tells you, uh, that you only have a week to live. Um, that would be pretty shocking news. Um, I wonder what you would do with that week. If you knew you only had a week to live, what would you do? Uh, my guess is that you might um, focus on the, the really important things. Maybe you'd um, get in touch with that person you've been meaning to get in touch with for a while, or maybe you'd get done, done the things that you really need to get done. Maybe you kind of tie your affairs in order, those kinds of things. But uh, my guess is you probably wouldn't get too caught up in the trivial things. Um, the cleaning of the windows may get to put off. Um, leave that for the next person, or whatever. But I wonder how it particularly would impact your Christian life. As a Christian, um, if you knew you only had a few days left to live, what difference would it make? Uh, would it perhaps make you, maybe your quiet times would be more, um, uh, more focused uh, during that time? You might spend a little bit more time in prayer, perhaps, uh, reading the Bible, that, that kind of thing. Or you might want to talk to one of your friends about um, who, who doesn't believe in Jesus. I wonder what you'd do if you, if you knew that the end for you is near. Well, in today's passage, I don't know if you, heard, you picked it up as it went through, uh, Peter says exactly that. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, he says, um, The end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. Peter is talking about uh, the return of Jesus, that uh, it's imminent, that one, uh, pretty soon the, the whole box and dice is going to be wrapped up. And today's passage is really, I think, trying to help us to see how we should live in the light of that fact, the light of the fact that Jesus is going to, is going to return soon uh, we, to be ready for it. How do we do that? Uh, well, the long and the short of it is, I think, that if, if we think that Jesus is coming back soon, if we think we've only got a short amount of time to live, our goal should, to be, should be to be like Jesus. I mean, as it turns out, actually, it doesn't matter if you've got a short time to live or a long time to live, the goal should be the same. Um, our focus should be to be like Jesus. And it gives us a number of qualities of Jesus in this passage uh, that we, we, sh we need to seek to, to, uh, to demonstrate in our life. 
You see there, beginning there, he, he, he brings us to Jesus in verse 1. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, i.e. the same attitude as that of Jesus, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their human lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Uh, Peter says one of the first qualities of Jesus that needs to be true for us is that we need to be done with sin. Jesus was the only person who's managed to live a whole life without sin. And if we are to be, be like him, we need to be done with sin. We shouldn't um, uh, glamorise sin. I, I sometimes when I was younger, I used to wish that I had one of those really fantastic, those really cool um, conversion stories. You know those ones where you know you used to be a hell's angel, um, used to be a, you know into sex, drug, and rock and roll, and you, you had all these amazing experiences. And then something, God, bam, just changes you. And I kind of look back, kind of wistfully, going, "Wouldn't it have been nice to be able to look back and say I had that life, but now I don't." Um, Peter says it doesn't matter how much of your life you've been involved in sin, whether you've become a hell, when you've been a hell's angel, or whether you've just been uh, like I was, um, just a regular North Shore boy growing up in a church community. Um, all of us have been have been sinners at one point in our lives, and whatever it is, whatever our sin has been, it's it's enough. It's well and truly enough, he says, verse three. Uh, you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans used to do. And he gives this, um, this list of shame, if you like, of the way our world lives, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, um, orgies, um, carousing, detestable idolatry. This is our world. It's a picture of our world. Again, sadly, as, uh, sometimes as Christians grow up, and particularly when they're uh, teenagers and young adults, there's a... There's a um, a phrase that describes a feeling that a lot of our young Christians have, it's called FOMO, um, which is the fear of missing out. Uh, and I think a number of Christians kind of, kind of have this fear that the world is going on and having a, a high old time, whereas we are living for God and we're missing out on something. Well, Peter wants to, to lay bare what our world is really like. And so he gives that, that list of uh, that, as I said, that list of shame there, debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry, um, these are not things to, look, to, to yearn for. I mean, think about the damage these kinds of things have done. From uh, the, the huge rise in domestic violence as a result of drunkenness, um, to, uh, to girls being um, trapped in slavery, uh, to sexual sin um, as a result of the rise of, the, of porno pornography and lust or indeed relationships being uh, shipwrecked and destroyed because of that kind of lust. Or, um, again, marriages breaking down because people, um, they, they can't control themselves. They, they, they feel like there's always some, someone else or something else or something more amazing or something more dramatic that they need to experience. Or think of the, the number of people who are, who are searching in their life. They're searching after idols. They're chasing after not little gold statues, but the idol of wealth or the idol of um, experience, you know, experiencing whole, um, you know, world travel or uh, you know, the, the extreme, extreme sports, those kinds of things. People kind of, enough is never enough. And how many people are just, their lives just going round and round and round, trying to chase after this elusive thing that they can't quite grab hold of because in the end it's empty. Don't chase after the things of this world. 
Peter says, be like Jesus. Turn your back on the world. Now, as I look around you, you're all nice people, aren't you? Right? As I look around, you guys aren't doing these kinds of things, are you? Debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. That's not you, is it? I don't see that here. I don't see those kinds of people here. But don't fool yourself into thinking that that means that sin is not in our lives. Because all of us, if we really examine our hearts, and we've already done that in our service this morning, um, as we examine our hearts, there, are, there is sin that we hold there, sin that we hold dear. Whatever it might be, maybe it's um, a sin of pride, maybe it's a sin of greed, maybe it's, maybe it's a sin of lust. Uh, each of us um, have sin in our lives. And Peter says to us that enough is enough. We've done enough sin. We don't need to keep going with that anymore. And so the first challenge I think that Peter would lay for us in that service is because the end is near, because our life is short, don't spend it in sin. Examine your hearts. Is there something that needs to go? Is there some cherished sin that you're holding on to that really it's time to, to let it go? Peter says, let it go. But of course, it's not just the, uh, the things that we should turn our back on that Peter focuses on. There's some really positive things that we should grab hold of. Jesus was not just a naysayer. He didn't just walk around and say, no, 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 don't do those things. Um, he had very positive things. And as you look at Jesus' life, his life was an incredibly positive force, wasn't it? Uh, and so from verse 7, he picks up some of those positive things. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Another, the first quality of Jesus that we want to put on is that of prayerfulness, which is a little bit odd, don't you think? Because if anybody in our world doesn't, didn't need to pray, it was Jesus, right? He's God. <laughs> so why does he need to pray? Except when you, see, when you read through the Gospels, over and over again, Jesus took time out to pray. He took time out, for, even though there were people kind of knocking on the door, looking for him to help them or do all those kind of things, one of the priorities for Jesus was to spend time in prayer. Because prayer for him was not a burden. It was not a chore, a task that he had to achieve. It was an expression of his relationship. He expressed his relationship with his heavenly father by spending time with him, by talking with him, sometimes um, in great anguish, sometimes in great joy, sometimes just sharing what's happening in his life. Jesus spent time with his heavenly father. I wonder how you find prayer. For me, I think it's one of the things in the Christian life I find the hardest, uh, to, to spend focused time. He says, be self-controlled and alert. I think it's one of the things I find hardest. I went on pray, my mind wanders, and I, I think about all the important things I should be doing. <laughs> um, how ridiculous, ridiculous is that? Um, what a privilege it is to actually be in the presence of our Father. Now, if you're one of those people a bit like me who finds it hard to pray, um, earlier in the year, we, uh, we started off a, um, a, a kind of thing in our church where we encourage people to get into prayer triplets. Um, that's a prayer triplet is a triplet who prays. It's pretty hard. Um, and uh, this started kind of through the growth groups. I wonder if anybody, uh, if anyone's prayer triplet is still going. It's um, a bit of a shame, isn't it? Um, wouldn't it be great if you find it hard to pray on your own? It's great to pray on your own, but it's also great to pray with other people. Maybe one of the things that you might determine to do, because the time is near, because you want to be like Jesus, is to, to think, well, let me, I want to spend time with some other people praying. 
So as you look around, so you can take a sneaky look around now or you can have a look around after the service. Are there two people here that you feel comfortable enough with that you could pray with them? If that's the case, don't wait for David or myself or, or somebody else to organise you into prayer. Because the end is near, because you want to be like Jesus, organise yourself. Get a prayer triplet happening. Start praying for yourselves. Start praying for each other. Start praying for our church. The first attitude of Christ to put on is that of prayerfulness. But there's more. Because Jesus, if you, if you had to choose one word that would describe Jesus' life in the way he lived, uh, it would have to be this word. Above all, love each other deeply. Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be love if you had to describe Jesus' life? All the things that Jesus said and did came out of a heart of love. And so Peter says, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to love like Jesus. Now, that's one of the great things about love in the Bible. It's not this kind of um, this wishy-washy kind of thing like, like I think it was Foreigner who, who's saying, you know, I want to know what love is. Um, uh, I, that it's, it's, for our world, I think love is this kind of mysterious kind of thing. It's a bit like trying to grab hold of a cloud to try and work out what love is. It's hard to explain. But in the Bible, love is very practical. It's very obvious. It's very clear what love is. Love is, uh, well, his, he gives three examples, and these are just three of many things he could have chosen. Uh, he says, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Love forgives. Our world holds on to hurt. Our, our world longs for revenge. Our, our world holds on to bitterness. But love doesn't do that. Love lets go of hurt. Love forgives. One of the things I love about this church, not characteristic of all churches, and, and um, it's one of the things I'm going to miss the most, I think, um, is the fact that this is a loving and forgiving group. It is a loving and forgiving church. There aren't people here that I'm aware of who are holding on to bitterness and anger with other people. You know, so we, we make mistakes and we hurt each other. That's, that's part of being in a family. That'll happen. Um, but true love lets those things go. And I want to encourage you, if you've been able to hide that from me <laughs> um, over the last 16 years, uh, then let me encourage you, remind you that actually you can't hide it from God. Um, God knows if we have bitterness in our heart. But true love lets go, covers over a multitude of sins. What else, what else does love do? Love also teaches us to be generous. In verse, verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. True love welcomes. You know, it's like when you, um, you may remember, as, maybe your, your family home is like this. When you come home from school or whatever it was, you run home, you run into the family home and mum will be there or mum or dad will be there and yeah, there'd be more afternoon tea and you'd be welcomed into the home. And sometimes you've had that experience, you're going back to the family home and you've, you're going back for dinner or whatever it might be and you're welcome there. And you don't feel like it's a burden or, or, or whatever, depending on how your mum or dad's that day has been, I guess. Um, but as a general rule, the family home is a place where you feel welcomed. Uh, and that, that can involve uh, kind of a meal or it can just be you know, a cup of tea or whatever it might be. That's what our, our church should be like. Our church should be a place, True, if, if love is here, should be a place where people are hospitable to one another. And I see, as I look around, I see so many people here who are incredibly hospitable. And we've, we've uh, experienced that over the last few years. 
I want to encourage you to keep on keeping on with hospitality. If you haven't invited anyone to your home in the last year or the last couple of months, let me encourage you to do that. Let me encourage you. How can, who can I invite from the church family here? How can I be hospitable to the people here? If you have been doing that, and I know as I look around you, actually most of you have, um, be encouraged that as you do that, you're showing the qualities of Jesus and do it all the more. As you see, the day approaching, the time is near. Be more like Jesus. So love is forgiving, love is generous, but also love serves. So in verse, uh, verse 10, he says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. It's not too long to Christmas. We were driving along the highway yesterday, and uh, as we drove along at Gordon, you probably know there's this Christmas shop that gets set up every year, and they were getting the Santas out, and it was, they were setting up for Christmas. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? <laughs> what is it? October. Uh, anyway, uh, Christmas is coming. So I want you to, and one of the things that comes with Christmas, of course, is the whole present buying thing. Um, I'm not bringing it that, so I outsource it a little bit. Um, you want to say who to? But um, don't you imagine that you're buying. You, you've got something to buy your, this gift for your husband or your wife or your child or your nephew or whatever it is, and you, find, you struggle. It's hard to find the right thing. And so you, you, you travel around to all these different shops and you've, you look through the catalogues and you troll online and all that kind of stuff uh, and finally find exactly the right thing. And, you know, this is, they're going to love this. This is awesome. And so you wrap it up and you can't wait till Christmas Day because you're going to hand it over and they're going to unwrap it and gonna, their face is going to light up. It's cool. Uh, and so you, you get to Christmas Day, you've wrapped it all up and you've got the car there and they open it up, they rip, rip open the present and they go, how do you feel about that? This thing that you've worked so hard and you've, you've put your heart into to give them this present and then they just chuck it away as if it wasn't even there. How would you feel about that? I feel really cranky. I feel really ripped off. All this time I put it, I feel like taking it back. The sad reality is that many Christians treat God like that. The Bible tells us that all of us have been given gifts from God. It's part of his grace to us. He's given us salvation, but he's also given us gifts that we might use. And sadly, so many Christians go, well, look, I haven't got anything I can do. Yeah, you know, I look at I look at Steve. He's up the front all the time. I can't get rid of him. Um, he's, he's you know, he's, and and I, I can't do that, and so therefore I have nothing. Don't be ungrateful. God has gifted you, and because He's gifted you, He asks, He calls on us to use His gifts. In fact, in an amazing way, our gifts, as we use them, it's like we become. God's hands and feet. In verse 11, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. It's like when God gives us a gift, he gives it for us to use. And if we don't use it, we're hide- we've taken this gift and we've just shoved it in a cupboard somewhere. And it's like we're slapping God in the face. But when we do use our gifts... It's like God works through us. And one of the ways he does it in two, just has two kind of results. One is that it's, it, it serves and helps the body of Christ. We should do it. We should serve one another. And so you have a gift that you can use to build up this body. It may be the gift of having Saturday, Saturday afternoon free. 
um, where you can come and just check the church. That might be a way of using a gift. Uh, you can use whatever gift God has given you to serve other people. And when you hold these gifts back, it's not humble. It's actually being stingy and miserly. Because you, just like me, have a gift that you can give. God's given it to you not to kind of go, oh, I've got this gift, or to hide it away, but to use, to serve others. And so it hurts the body of Christ here when Christians hold back their gifts. True love serves. That's what Jesus came to do, isn't it? That was how he showed his love, a life of service. The end is near. Be like Jesus. Serve. And so you might want to consider, how, how are you serving the body of Christ here? There are so many ways that you can do it. And as I look around, many of you are. And so be encouraged. If you're serving the body of Christ here, that's fantastic. God is at work through you, which is incredible. Which leads me to the other reason that we serve, our, we, we use our gifts. It's not just to help the people here. It's actually to bring glory to God. In verse, the second half of verse 11 uh, we, we do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Why do I preach? Just because I, I, I like being the centre of attention? No, that may be true. Um, no, the reason I preach is I hope that as, as you hear from God's word, as I speak, God might speak. I'm not saying that I'm God, okay? Don't get, you know, get me wrong. But I hope that as you listen on a Sunday morning, that God might speak to you, that he might challenge you, that he might encourage you, that he might comfort you, and that my words might be God words to you to build you up. And what do I want you to do with that? I don't want you to come and say, oh, Steve, you're so lovely. Um, what I want you to do is I want to say thank you to God. When, you might be able to picture the scene where somebody in our congregation becomes sick and they can't cook for themselves. And one of the, the beautiful things about this church, I think, is that when that happens, uh, people organise. So Heather usually gets us organised and, we, and we, we organise meals for them. Now, what happens when you do that? That's a way of serving others. So you're helping them physically. That's lovely. But something bigger come, happens there. As people receive those meals... What do they do? Well, they go, mm, yum, that's delicious. Mm. Um, but also, they, they say, well, isn't God good? God has provided all this, these people, all this, this, my family here at St Peter's, to care for me when I need being cared for. And so they're drawn to praise God. That we can actually help each other people give glory to God. What an honour that is. True love serves to help others, but also to honour God. So let me encourage you to think about how you're serving. What are the gifts that God has given you? It doesn't need to be some supernatural empowerment that comes on you when you become a Christian. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. It can be anything that God gives that you can use to serve others. It might just be a good job with a good salary that you can use to be generous, to help um, uh some, a great, great example of this the other day happened with Zambia's child, didn't it, Bruce? Um, a, a woman, was it a woman who, who died? Yeah, a woman who died. And you may think, well, how can she, that's it, the end of her serving God? No. Um, as part of her, uh, part of her, um, her will, she bequested a, a, a good sum of money to Zambia's child 
that is now able to build more, more classrooms for the school um, and is able to fit all the children in at the same time rather than having a morning and afternoon sessions. And the, the response of the teachers and of the students is incredible praise to God, isn't it, Bruce? That they, they're singing praises to God because of this generous gift. What an amazing gift that woman gave as a parting gesture for her, at the end of her life. Let me, consider, let me encourage you to consider how you can serve God, how you can show your love in practical ways um, by serving, his, serving the body of Christ. As we do these things, um, the last kind of passage there, I don't want to focus too much on it because we've really 1 Peter has been, um, it's been filled with this idea that when we, when we serve God, it doesn't mean that life's going to be easy for us. Um, life as a Christian is not meant to be easy. And you know, there's a lot of discussion at the moment um, in, our, uh, in our parliaments about the whole idea of religious freedom. Have you been caught up to, that, to date with that kind of, those kind of discussions? And there's a lot of concern amongst the Christians in our community that uh, we could lose our religious freedoms. It may not be as, uh, we may not be able to practice our faith in the same way we've done in the past. Uh, so there may, there may be uh, kind of legal consequences for you know, if somebody preaches a particular way or whatever it might be. And so the Christians are trying to stand up to try to keep hold of our religious freedoms. And that's good and right to do. But let me ask you the question. What happens if, if they don't succeed? What happens if, the, if rule, laws are passed that make it hard for us to be Christians in our, in our society? Is that the end of the world? Well, no. Peter actually says uh, a number of things. There's a few things just to, to remind us about the suffering that we may encounter. First of all, he says in verse 12, don't be surprised. Jesus suffered. Christians throughout the ages have suffered. And the, you know, there's no reason why we should be exempt from that. So don't be surprised if hard times come on us. Because in the end, uh, as people reject, they reject us because they reject Jesus. So he says, don't be surprised. In fact, verse 13, he says, rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. That you are, if you like, continuing the tradition. <laughs> that Jesus, our Saviour, our Lord suffered. And suffering can actually be a, a real privilege. Nobody likes it. But actually, be a privilege to be counted worthy of being in uh, in the same uh, having the same experience as Jesus. He says, "Realize as you suffer in verse fourteen that the Spirit of God is with you. That no matter what the world throws at us, it doesn't mean that God has left us. And so, yes, it may become harder. Um, Christians may be arrested. They may be thrown in jail. Who knows what might happen? But it doesn't mean that God is with us." The spirit of, of glory and of God rests on you. What a great comfort that is. What a great encouragement for us. When we suffer, we need to make sure, he says, that we don't do it because we're just annoying people. Um, and if you're one of those people, I'm sure there isn't one here, but you've probably seen them if you go online and you take part in any of those online discussions, that sometimes Christians get, um, uh, get a bad rap or get, they get treated, ba treated badly because they're just plain awful. Sometimes Christians say some terrible things or write terrible things online that they deserve to be persecuted. So do not make sure, make sure that, uh, that you're never one of those people, never one of those Christians who, um, who swears and abuses or condemns people online. Um, be very careful the way you, you interact online with people. Um, also, he says, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. We have Christ's name on our back. 
Um, and what a better name is there for us to bear. But also the suffering reminds us what we heard at the beginning, that life is short, that time is short, the end is near. When difficulties come to Christians, it reminds us that actually the judge is coming. He will not allow these things to go on forever. He will vindicate, vindicate his followers uh, so we can trust him. So if you knew you only had a few days to live, let me encourage you not to change. Uh, if you suddenly found out that you only had a couple of days to live, I hope that you actually keep on doing things as you are. Because I hope as you are, you're becoming more and more like Jesus. That you're turning your back on sin, that you're committing your life to God in prayer, and you're living a life of love and service of others, no matter what the world throws. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for all that Jesus has done for us, for uh, the fact that he suffered for us. We pray that his suffering, his giving, his service might be an inspiration to each of us, that we might not hold back from others. Lord, we know that life is short, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years at best. Uh, life is short, so Lord, please help us to use the short life we have for you. Help us to be people of prayer. Help us to be people who have integrity and uh, who turn our back on sin. Help us to be people who love. Lord, we pray that these qualities might always be characteristic of our church so that your name is glorified and people are drawn to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.